On the Empire Podcast this week, we get inside Inside Lewin Davis star Oscar Isaac, but strictly in a metaphorical sense, of course. And we also scooch up on a park bench to the new Jack Ryan, Chris Pine, and whisper sweet, sweet code words into his ear. All that plus reviews of those movies and Grudge Match and August Osage County and the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that isn't in Sundance right now because of the wrong kind of snow. Yeah, let's say that. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by three colleagues who simply didn't have anything better to do. On my far left is a man who cuts his podcast together and whose shock of wild hair and proficiency with virtual scissors has led us to dub him Edward Audition. Or is it Audacity? Because I can never quite remember. Hands. It's Ali Plum. Hello. Which is it? It doesn't matter. On my moderate left is a man who's recently emerged shaking and dripping with sweat from a mission to watch all 264 episodes of Frasier. He didn't stop when Alice and Daphne got together. Oh, no. He didn't even heed the warnings when they got married. No, sir. And he certainly didn't bail when Anthony Napalia showed up sporting the worst Cockney accent this side of Dick Van Dyke. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling for Nick DeSemlian. Hello. Yeah, it's all a bit of a haze now. I can't really remember anything that happened. It's a lot of farcical situations and glasses of sherry. Uh, and on my moderate to far right, not politically speaking, of course, she's a wishy-washy liberal, uh, is a resident geek queen, a lady who introduced me this week to the concept of Super Who Lock, uh, in which people with far too much time on their hands imagine a universe in which Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock Holmes coexist, and, I'm guessing, have sex with each other. Uh, it's Helen O'Hara, and she should wash her mind out with soap and water, shouldn't you? I, I don't actually know if they have sex with each other. Yeah, you do. I genuinely don't. I don't know what the fanfic situation is, because I genuinely don't go into that world. It scares me. All week, you've bombarded us with brain teasers, and here you are. Uh, this is one, actually, this isn't from a reader. This is from a, an argument, not an argument, a conversation that Nick and I had in the office yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the best section of Pulp Fiction? Ooh. Mm. Um. You said... Uh, it's the gold watch, obviously. Yes, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. Astonished that anyone can think otherwise. I'm not disparaging the gold watch. There is some amazing stuff in that segment, but obviously, come on, the first section, which is I can never quite remember the title of it. Okay, so the three chapters are Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife, the gold watch, and the Bonnie situation, in which Harvey Keitel, as the wolf, comes in to help uh, Jules and Vincent with a a messy cleanup. Uh, the gold watch, which is my favourite. Yeah, with Bruce Willis uh, on the run from Fing Rhames and the great moment with John Travolta and everything. I just think everything about that section, that segment, is just phenomenal. Yeah, I'd say uh, possibly the conversation between Butch and uh, his girlfriend is probably my least favorite bit of the film, to be honest. Uh, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. But I, I talk about pot bellies and stuff. It's not. I don't think there's a bad moment in the in the first. Tale. I don't think it's a bad moment in the Gold Watch either. I just don't think that's that that moment pops. Uh, but I'm not. I, honestly, I've never been a huge fan of uh, the Vincent Vega Mia Wallace thing. I've never been a huge fan of that. Really? Yeah. From the moment, you know, from the moment that that relationship starts, I switch off of that of that chapter. What about? It's the, all about Jules and Vincent for me in that. Mm. What about the diner sequence where uh, they tell the whole plot of Kill Bill uh, whilst um, you know sitting down before they dance? Fox Force Five. Hmm. It's nice, but it's not Bruce Willis blowing away John Travolta when a pop tarts pop up, is it? Well, no. Is it? Is no. it? No, does it have not. to be? Don't, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would say it does. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to name drop now because I know the gimp 
Wow, <laughs> what a name drop. <laughs> um, this must be the worst I, name I, drop. I bust this one out all the time. People usually just sidle away. Uh, but I interviewed... He, the, he's actually here now, right now. <laughs> you brought him with him, which is, yeah. which is nice. I interviewed the Gimp for Eden Al quite a few years back, and he's a lovely guy. He's a, uh, a Christian guy. He's like a friend of Tarantino who's given the part, ironically slightly, uh, called Stephen Hibbert. And he said... Um, he was very insane to talk to. He said, uh, when the movie opened... I got about two dozen creepy calls over the course of the weekend from guys saying, hey, I really enjoyed your performance. I'd like to meet with you. That They sat through the credits, called information, got my number. There's a little bit of work there. It was terrifying. My address wasn't listed, thank God. Wow. So, yeah, so the, the Gimp has uh, his own fan base. Interesting. I watched an episode of Portlandia last week. There's a great wolf reference in that, where to sort out tricky restaurant bills, you can call this guy. <laughs> he turns up in a tux <laughs> and sorts out your bill and then disappears. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, that, that would be sh- that so be useful. A real thing. Anytime we go out for dinner, that would be fantastic. So uh, the the answer then definitively is to go watch. Am I right? Thinking that's no. yeah, we're, we're all sorry. Yeah, <laughs> say <why> epilogue. <laughs> Don't enable it, Malik. The epilogue. Oh the, my god. There's a great 16-bit version of this. It's actually called 88-bit, but it's not. But there's a 16-bit version of Pulp Fiction. Just type in 8-bit Pulp Fiction into YouTube, and you'll see the whole of the the mm. film played out as if it's a crappy game. The dance <laughs> section obviously is up, down, left, right, Scott Pilgrim style. A A B B A A, and then yeah. it goes combo. At Jack Rabbit Slims. Yes. So enjoy that. Next week, can we discuss the best sequence of four rooms? Uh, we we can. <laughs> Shortest we conversation ever. <laughs> certainly can. Okay, let's move on. Uh, this is a, a question from a reader, but I uh, apologies, I can't remember the name of the person who sent this in, and I went searching on Twitter and I couldn't find it. Uh, but it's a doozy. Uh, along the lines of, David O. Russell directed American Hustle. Can you think of any other directors who've made films that rhyme with their surnames? I've got one. <laughs> really? Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 3. Say it again, say it again so I can hear it properly. Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3? Yeah. Yeah, no. No. Uh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> what about Ang Lee, Sense and Sensibility? That's good. That's very good. <laughs> that yeah. actually works. <laughs> well, it's better than his first one. We've Ang got to... <laughs> Lee and... Ability. T. There's a half rhyme uh, in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, yeah, a half rhyme about uh, like a quarter or yeah. a third, I'd say. Uh, I just I, started making some up. I, I couldn't find any. Yeah. I was like, even looking back to like Cecil B. DeMille, but the, the closest he's got is Brewster's Million. <laughs> David Lynch's <clears throat> The Grinch. Yeah. I have a list of suggested remakes, actually. Oh, yeah. Argento's Memento. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael Bay's One Fine Day. Hitchcock's Lockstock. And Catherine Bigelow's Juice Bigelow Mel Jiggle. Well, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I would add Rob Reiner's Diner. Yes. There. Yes, that's a good one. We're stumped in this one, I think. Cameron's Pygmalion. Uh, I've got a couple of fudgy ones. Uh huh. Woody Allen made Manhattan. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's. Oh, come it's, on. It's You're a, that's reaching. That's a half rhyme. You're I, I reaching. Well. Here's a half rhyme. The Cohen brothers. The brothers Cohen. No country for old men. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, so, uh, if you can think of any directors whose surnames <laughs> rhyme with the film that they've made, please do send them in and put us out of our misery. Kim Newman probably knows a dozen. No, but I've, got it, I've got it. Yeah. Right. Spike Lee, She Hate Me. Hey! Hey! We 2006's have, we have infamous flop, Good. She Hate Me. That's why he made it. Yeah, Spike Lee's She Hate Me. Thank and, you. And that everyone. will stand right up until Michel Gondry do, makes a film called Dirty Laundry, I think. <laughs> I imagine he, he's working on it Probably. right now. This is one from at Jackie McGriff. 
uh, who says, not to sound morbid, but how about favourite lines delivered right before a kill? For example, she quotes Erwin in uh, one of the Rings movies, uh, saying, I am no man. Which one? The third? Return of the King. Not the a third. huge fan of that, that line. I like that one. It's okay. He's all he's all overconfident because he's got a prophecy on his side. And she I points think... out that the hole in the... Mm. It's like Macduff and, and Macbeth, basically. It's, it's taken yeah. straight from the Shakespeare. I don't really like the bit where she takes it. She takes too long to take the helmet off and goes. Ah, this is, yeah, it's not. It's not as it. brilliantly played as it is in the book. I'll be honest. It's one of those moments that he doesn't quite a hundred percent nail for me. Chris, sound the alarm. Uh, okay. Whoop, whoop. It's quiz time. Oh, I love this. Way right. We're so going to have one of these for the live show, right? The aim of yep. the game is. Okay. I'm going to give you the kiss off line. Ooh. Or, as they are officially called, pre-mortem one-liners. I'm going to give you the one-liner, uh-huh. and you have to tell me which film this one-liner is from. Okay, yep, great. That is a Smith & Wesson, and you've had your six. That is from Dr. No. Correct. Uh, before he kills the professor whose name I've forgotten. That you don't yep. know. You've had your six. <laughs> Smile, you son of a bitch. Come Jaws. On. Come on. Oh, it's us as well? Jaws. No, it's not just Chris. I mean, everyone's involved. Here. <laughs> yeah. Nick had switched off. Yeah, Nick, I was on my Nick, phone. Nick had left the building. Yeah, <laughs> dodge this. Uh, the Matrix. I've got that one written down. Damn it. Assimilate this. I was going to say, uh, say first dodge contact. Dodge Correct. Ball, but um, no. yeah. You go in pieces, asshole. <laughs> mm, that is Dark Angel, aka I come in peace. <laughs> That's correct. So the, the 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 line is the alien comes up to him and says, "I come in peace," and that was his response. Dolph Lundgren goes, "And you go in pieces." Take a giant step for mankind. Take a giant step. <laughs> Come on, this is a genius line. Nick, you should get this. Take a giant step for mankind. Mm. Oh, 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 it's Moonraker. It is Moonraker. Oh, God. Yeah. Before he puts Drax in the air. Bond lock. seems to have a lot of pre-mortem lines, doesn't he? He, it, just, he seems to be the specialist in this. So bad. So amazing, Helen. So get with bad. the programme. Get with the programme. Nick, say hello to my little friend. I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> Do we even have to bother answering Scarface? I mean, come on. Get off my plane. Oh, that is Air Force One. one. You were once a vegan, but now you will be gone. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim versus the world. <laughs> Not one of his better efforts, I think even he would admit. You're out of bullets, and you know what that means. You're shit out of luck. Hmm. Oh, I don't know that one. What's that one? That is... Feel free to join in other, yeah, other no, people. I've got none. Clint Eastwood is in this movie. What's the line again, sorry? You're out of bullets... And you know what that means. You're shit out of luck. Oh. Is it a Dirty Harry film? It is a Dirty it's Harry a film. Force. No, it is... The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, Deadpool. There we there go. We go. Hey. The end. <laughs> it's not the original, I know that much. Although you could say his entire speech in the original Dirty Harry is a pre-mortem, especially when he delivers it to the Scorpio at the end. The, uh, you know, uh-uh, I know what you're thinking. Did I fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement, but being this is a forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, it could blow your head clean off. I'd be asking myself a question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Wow, your your delivery of that was so much more menacing, <laughs> do you think, than Clint Eastwood's. Do you think like I went up at the end as I forgot the lines? <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you punk? Punk? Do you, punk? Punk? Do you, punk? Do you feel lucky? Swallow this. I beg your pardon. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Evil Dead 2. Um, How dare you? How dare you challenge my Evil Dead 2 knowledge? I pay it gladly. <laughs> I pay it gladly. Oh, shit, I know that. I'll give you a hint. James Dye would get this straight away. I pay it gladly. He's seen Equilibrium. three movies. Correct. Yay. Oh, okay. There's uh, another good one. Um, well, it's not really a pre-mortem line, but uh, whenever uh, John Preston's about to go off at the end and... Uh, 
uh, and he goes not without incident. And then it, the when they're doing this sort of what do you call a thing? You, you know, you have the you're doing a cardio test and someone you're testing their blood pressure, and it goes off the charts. And then it goes beep, and he just suddenly becomes calm and starts killing everybody in the world. That bit. Hey. Yeah, I like that bit, don't you? Yeah, I do. I think you know if we go through best kiss off lines. 80% of them will be Arnie. I have some of the worst kiss-off lines in history. Oh, I can't wait. Let's hear okay. it. So, you want to man up, I'll man you up. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> Which is uh, from The Expendables 2. Oh, okay. This yeah. is my favourite. I'd forgotten about this one, but this was in a blog I wrote about worst movie dialogue. This mm. is from Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. Oh. Optimus Prime, while fighting um, the Fallen, shouts, Give me your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a genuine line from that film. And obviously Toad. Um, yeah. <laughs> That, that's got to be the worst. Is it the worst? Just I kind of like one, it. I kind of like it. It, it, it could have worked, yeah. maybe. Yeah, it was just delivered in the wrong way. Yeah. No, I think it's also a bad I, line. To be honest, I have you know some palate-cleansing good answers for okay. this, I think. Um, there's obviously, hey, terrorist, terrorise this. I would really love, from the Wrath of Khan, from Hell's Heart, I stab at thee, for hate's sake, I spit at thee, but uh, technically he doesn't succeed, so I'm not sure that counts. Uh, get away from her, you bitch, obviously, mm. is brilliant. But the definitive answer for me, and it's you're going to see this coming, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. That is that is awesome. That is pretty awesome. It's no give me your face. It's it's, it's no give me your face. Give That's me true. your face. There's so many great... Arnie is obviously the king of this as well. Uh, knock, knock, stick around, etc., etc., etc. Let's some steam. Uh, let's move on to a question. This is a good one. I like this one. Uh, from at AVP2015, who says, Apart from Expendables 3... <laughs> <laughs> Which films does the Empire podcast think will break $1 billion in 2014? Bear in mind, only one uh, hit that mark in 2013. Yes, that was Iron Man 3. Um, mm. And it doesn't look like anybody's joining him while, you know, technically The Hobbit and uh, Hunger Games uh, Catching Fire are both still the cinemas. They're, they're not going to... And Frozen. Mm-hmm. They're not quite going to hit that mark, I think. Um Well, it's it's an interesting year, this, because I don't think there's there are any nailed-on definite you know billion dollar films I think looking possible are The the Last Hobbit I think is, mm-hmm. is a contender because I think people enjoyed this one more than the first and therefore it might see a bit of a bump this one. the people tend to judge you on the last film not you know how this film looks Smaug is on 850 million worldwide at yeah. the moment so it looks like it might squeak to 900 it's not going to make a billion but I think people did enjoy this one more. Yeah, so I think they might come back for the finale. And also because the finale has more action. So you get a couple of really good trailers out there with lots and lots of exciting stuff going on. I think you could hit a billion. Uh, Hunger Games, the, yeah. the last one did brilliantly. Um, and I think uh, we might see, again, a little bit of an uplift for the final or for the beginning of the end uh, this time. The only yeah. question mark over that one for me would be, this is a bit like Deathly Hallows Part 1. A lot of the action is actually, I, th- I suspect, going to be in Mockingjay Part 2. So the question is, what can they put in the trailer this time to sell this film and get people into cinemas? Um, but uh, it's definitely a contender. Jennifer Lawrence is universally adored, uh, which doesn't hurt, and the series has been very good to date. So I think those are both pretty likely. It is increasing, definitely, but I'm not so sure if it's going to hit a billion. Uh, I'll be honest. I think Marvel have had a fantastic run. Uh, recently, the Avengers made 1.5 billion. Iron mm-hmm. Man three made 1.3, uh, but I don't think they're going to have anything like that this year. I don't think they're going to get anywhere close with Captain America two and Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. How did Thor do? Hmm? How did Thor do? Uh, Thor: The Dark World made around 600 million so far. I mean, it's still, uh, I think it still maybe has a couple of prop- uh, countries to open in, but yeah, 
it's it's not going anywhere near the billion. And I imagine Captain America two will will grow somewhere around the same five hundred to six hundred million. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy is a completely unknown quantity. I've no idea it could it could stiff, it could be huge, but I don't think it'll be. I think I think a really good performance for it, probably given that it is so out there, would probably be about five hundred. That mm-hmm. would be really really, oh my goodness, that's a huge mm-hmm. win. Um, so, I, but I don't think it's going to look like uh, a billion. I mean, in terms of animation. Uh, there might be, you know, it's, it's always kind of hard to see those coming. I don't think anybody saw The Croods doing as well as it did last year. We kind of knew that Despicable Me 2 was going to do well. I don't think anyone predicted it was going to do quite that well. Mm. Um, so th- there may be some surprises there. But this is a year without a Pixar. So, you know, they're, they're kind of the most probably consistent performers in that respect. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, I, mm. I'm sure it'll do well. I don't think it'll get that much of an uplift on the first one. I'd be so I'd be very surprised. Pompeii, I mean, Pompeii's going to be huge. <laughs> Inter- Interstellar is, is kind of an unknown quantity because The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises both made a billion. Yeah. Just each of them kind of they scraped, scraped over. it. Scraped they really over scraped a billion. it. Yeah. Um, and Inception, which you know is probably the closest thing to an Interstellar, it's an original property, sure. um, made eight hundred and twenty-five. Yeah, I think. I mean, with with Nolan films, I think you know. It, I'm sure Interstellar will be very good, and if it is spectacularly good and it gets great, great reviews, I'm sure we could be looking at Inception numbers again. The billion, I think you need that extra 200 lift that you get from Batman. Mm. It's a tricky one. Uh, Honestly, I don't see anything that stands out as an outstanding candidate at the moment. Um, X-Men Days of Future Past is going to be big, I think, but this franchise has had a ceiling of $500 million on all its movies thus far. Obviously, you're going back to 2000, 2003... So, you know, if X-Men and X-Men 2 open now, they'll be much, much bigger than they are currently. But to go from a film that hasn't grossed to more than 500 million to a film something grossing a billion, well, Iron Man 3 did it. So, well, it went from 600 million to a billion. So it's possible. It is possible. And if it does break out and people get excited about the two casts thing and the, and the film itself is great, it has a shot. Uh, Helen and I were talking about this yesterday. Yeah. And we think there is maybe one candidate that might well do it. Transformers, yeah. oh, not Age of Extinction. Yeah, the, I mean, the last Transformers movie, Dark of the Moon. Dark of the Moon did over a billion. Mm-hmm. Um, it did. It, now, yeah, mm. and we didn't think it would because, quite frankly, people didn't seem to love the second one. And again, people go by the last film in the franchise. Generally, you'd expect there to be a little bit of a, a knockdown effect, and there was quite the opposite. It made more mm. than the second one, even though it was somehow even worse. Yeah, uh, well, so yeah. It's, it's a, a question of Dinobots is the, uh, <laughs> and I, I I should be just no interest in this film because I didn't really enjoy the, the first one. It's great, but the sequels. But somehow the word Dinobots is getting me weirdly excited. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> I know I shouldn't be falling for it, but mm-hmm. I am. Um, especially if, the if, head. If, if robots are riding around on dinosaurs' backs. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to figure out what could happen in The Expendables 3 for that film to make a billion. If Harrison Ford arm wrestles Arnie for an hour and a half. If there's a bit <laughs> where you know they step out the screen and start handing money to the cinema goers, then it might have a chance, although it could lose money in the long term. That's true. It's not the best It's a risky strategy. strategy. It is a risky strategy. Uh, it's not the best idea I've ever seen in Dragon's Den, but <laughs> go for it. Uh, so the answer is... We don't know. Obviously, we don't know. Uh, but you want us to put our <laughs> reputations such as they are on the line. I'm going to say, honestly, I'm going to say I'll be surprised if there's one. That's I- I'm that's hoping me. for more than one. I'm, I'm hoping for, you know, I, I think it'll probably be Transformers, but I'm hoping for a, a Hunger Games or a Hobbit or something to join it. I'm going to say The Hobbit and Interstellar. 
Oh, you live on the edge. Oh yeah. That is where you I gotta are, be. You are cray cray, my friend. Uh, there's okay. There's other films. There's Exodus. There's Night at Museum Three. There's Annie. There's Into the Woods. Two musicals actually opening in December. There, let's see what else there is. There's Dumb and Dumber Two. That's not gonna do it. Horrible Bosses Two. That's not gonna do it. Gone Girl. That's not gonna do it. Yep. Nothing. There you go. That's my take on the whole thing. Uh, if you want to get your questions read out in the podcast, you can send them to us on Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see them. You can Facebook us. We're Empire Magazine, obviously. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com is the address. Okay, it's time for our first interview now. You may know Chris Pine by many names. James T. Kirk, for example. Jack Frost is another one. And if you're an early adopter... Darwin Tremor. But now you can add Jack Ryan to that list. This week in Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, he becomes the fourth actor to fill the shoes of Tom Clancy's CIA analyst, following Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck and Alec Baldwin. He popped into the pub booth this week to talk to James Dyer and Helen. Enjoy. I read that back in the day you were offered a place uh, to study in London and this film starts with Jack Ryan studying in London. So was that kind of, you know, some kind of closing of the circle for you? I so weird, you know, when you make decisions like that, that just then affect the rest of your life. And I made it on like a Tuesday afternoon, I was like <laughs> having a great time. And I was like, oh, fuck it, I don't want to spend 30,000 pounds. And how am I going to get 30,000 pounds? So anyway, I didn't go. But I, I also studied in Leeds, um, Leeds Univ- University of Leeds, my junior year of uh, uni. I've completely forgotten your original question, but... Oh, that was kind of... It. Well, like uh, Jack Ryan, I guess, starts off at LSE, so it's a nice right. little parallel. I'd, I'd read about Leeds. Ever have ended up at. <laughs> <laughs> ever. How was Leeds University? I had, the, I had a great time. Yeah, I really had a great time. I mean, I, I, I liked studying, and um, I didn't really, maybe not necessarily like studying, but I was beaten so into submission in high school <laughs> to kind of like... So I took it seriously. And they just, their English program was incredible. And I don't know, I, I had a really, it was just great. And so, it's a great town, too. I mean, it's a great, the Northerners are, uh, uh, you know, a breed unto themselves. And I loved, there was just this whole, this like joyful carpe diem attitude that it was just like, let's rock and roll. <laughs> What's the venue of choice in Leeds if you're going out as a student? Well, I just I was just talking to someone about this because I hadn't talked about it in so long. There was um, a spot, because I loved hip-hop, uh, and there was a spot my girlfriend and I used to go to called Norman's that I don't think is around anymore, but it was just, like, super cool. It's right in the city center. Um, and then the very famous where I spent uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas when I was there, which I... F- I forget the name of the fucking place, but it's like a two-story, you know, rave kind of joint <laughs> where, you know, lots of bad things happen. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just had a great time. I had a great time. And, that, in fact, Sam Riley, who's in control, I used to hang out with. He was in a band. <laughs> and I remember these, like, crazy, you know, lazy Sunday afternoons with me and my buddies hanging out at his flat. I'm sure he doesn't remember me at all. Yeah, just, it's so crazy. And then he went on to be, you know, yeah, the guy in control. Anyway, you, you, could, you guys could get it back together. This could happen. Yeah, sure. <laughs> control too. Because this is the fifth, isn't it, Jack Ryan film now? Because people forget the Hunt for Red October is a Jack Ryan film. Um, Probably in my, I mean, my, in my eyes, the best. I, yeah. Now I'm, I was like, I, Jay, as McTiernan's. That was like the reign of Jay, yeah, McTiernan. Definitely. That was there. Were, yeah. You you do a formidable Alec Baldwin impression, don't you? I don't do a formidable Alec Baldwin. <laughs> you think I have a god complex? I am God. 
It really requires nothing. Of <laughs> Just growl. Just growl. <laughs> Can you do the others? Can you do Ford and Affleck as well? Uh... <laughs> No, I'm not even. No, I'm not. Even <laughs> I actually, it's funny because I have been thinking about what would my Harrison Ford be, but uh, I think Harrison's was much more about uh, his nonverbal, mm, the uh, finger pointing, acting. you know, yeah. that kind of thing. The man does point a mean finger. <laughs> it's between him and Leo, I think, for that. Yeah. <laughs> now you start obviously opposite Zoe Saldana in, in Star Trek. Now I read that you came within. A distance of appearing opposite her in Avatar. You auditioned for that, didn't you? And you, yeah. you very famously said you thought it was the worst audition you'd ever done. I mean, I've had some fucking <laughs> really bad auditions, man. Uh, I've had some bad. The ones I always talk about, um, just because they're funny, was I remember the ten thousand BC audition at the Warner Brothers lot in this very small room. Uh, you know, and there's a camcorder set up, and you're like squatting on a chair. You know, believability can only extend so far. <laughs> and it, you know, sometimes, and it got to the point where you just like end uh, an audition because it's why even go through with it. And then the other one was Avatar, yeah, because I think he, there were no sides. There were like fake sides, or like the sides were Henry the Fifth or something, or maybe they weren't Henry the Fifth, but there was some very big, you know, big um, soliloquy about we must all join together and fight the people and I you know some days it just fucking works some days it really doesn't that was a not working kind of day and you would have been a blue cap person at the time as well so well yeah and they also shot I think Zoe said they were where they filmed that for like two years because mm. they you know they'd shoot and then they'd develop some new technology and you know <laughs> then he'd discover more parts of the Titanic and you know come back <laughs> and shoot more of the thing but yeah I don't think I would have been very good at that. Now, you've got Into the Woods, haven't you, coming up, where you get to uh, exercise your, from what I hear, very good singing voice. Well, uh, I've, I hope. Uh, a lot of fun. It was a hell, you know, it was a huge cast. Meryl Streep, Johnny Depp, Anna Kendrick, James Corden, Emily Blunt. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I didn't actually get to work with Johnny Depp or Meryl, but I had a lot of scenes with Emily and Anna, and I play a very two-dimensional kind of prince. You get to sing Agony, though, which yes. is my favorite song by several country miles in that, in that show. It's ridiculous. It's so good. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 way I always, the way I looked at the characters, everybody kind of goes through these wonderful emotional arcs, and then there are a couple of characters that just don't. <laughs> and there's one, and that's my character, who's this... He's, his, he's a very intense, earnest... <laughs> Prince who must love at all times. Played by Alec Baldwin. It's like played by Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. It's Alec Baldwin meets like Will Ferrell in Anchorman. It, it, yeah. Anch Will Ferrell in Anchorman. Burgundy is definitely influenced a couple characters that I played in the last year. And then he has a moment kind of of self reflection, but ultimately he's he pops out of the page, he lives a certain way, he loves to love, and then he, you know, goes back to the written pages, everybody else kind of becomes full blooded human beings. You had no reservations about going into a musical, doing some singing. Are you comfortable Not enough? At all. I mean, I, of course, I. You know, <laughs> no, I had to do it. Had to do it. I had no idea it was Stephen Sondheim. I had no. I had no idea about agony. Any of this, what makes Into the Woods Into the Woods. And then I ta told people, and they were like, "You're doing Into the Woods? Agony? Oh my god! <laughs> it's a big, in, at least in America, big high school. If you're in theater, it's like mm -hmm. they do it all the time." 
And in fact, they only do the first act because the second act gets so weird. And <laughs> really dark, weird. And people start dying, and it's like, this is not a fairy tale. But the first act's all kind of lovey dovey and great. I went to see it and accidentally left at the interval because I thought that was the end of the show. Yeah. And I had to go back and see it yeah. again <laughs> to see the second act. It's really, I, it sounds so dumb, but coming into it late and learning about Sondheim and. Um, and I just watched this whole thing on HBO about his career. It, he's he's brilliant. I mean, really, his how he matches. Again, it sounds so dumb, but uh, tone and emotion, and uh, how he counterpoints uh, notes and the music, and it's just a really it's a special play. It's mm -hmm. a very special musical, it, in terms of what it's like. You know, using the fairy tale as kind of the classic. Um, structural way of giving information and teaching children but then really going dark and saying the world is sucks sometimes <laughs> it's really awful and people die but you have to pick up and keep on going it's really it's quite beautiful and i'm have no doubt that meryl will probably um win another 150 <laughs> it seems by default it's just the meryl streep category in these things Pretty isn't much, it yeah. <laughs> we were saying when well, they i guess were... it's meryl or jennifer lawrence now right well, yeah, so what we were saying is probably like one of those old exam papers when it was saying, here is one example in bold. Can you think of any others? And she's pre-ticked on all the forms. Yeah, totally. yeah right. <laughs> um, do you consider yourself, I mean, are you, a, are you a fan of video games? Do you play games not at all? Not at all. Never at all? More no, of a I, sports person? No, not at all. I mean, I played sports growing up uh, for many, many years. I just have no patience to talk about it or research. You know, in the States, it's all about ESPN and watching yeah. as a man this thing called Sports Center, which I just find to be, I, I just, I, have, I don't understand. Memorizing statistics. Well, yeah, it's uh, essentially for men, it's like you watch it, you then go out socially and drink some beers and then talk about what you all heard watching Sports Center, <laughs> and somehow that's like a way to spend an evening. I, that beats me. I love baseball, I love to play basketball, I'll play touch football, I'll play it, but anyway. But if I quiz you on the point averages around the players, fucking care <laughs> less, honestly. But anyway, video games. I I was just always awful at them. Like I remember playing Zelda, and Zelda was like that was, and I knew guys that were like doing double clicking on the you know A A B B A A and finding routes through the. And I just again I could did, could care less, and I was awful at it. But of course, you're in a computer game now as well. What Star the Star Trek game? Yes. Oh, oh yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, yeah, you are in a video game. I've heard. I've heard from gamers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's lucky. So you don't play it. So you weren't. You weren't uh, witness to that indignity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> action figures, though. You must have your action figure. Sure. Yeah. The weirdest part about the first Star Trek was getting a, um, <laughs> getting sent a box of of my heads, just like different heads to survey to see like which one I liked for, you know, for the eventual. And you approve the head they use. Well, yeah, you keep on going back and forth. You're like, my neck doesn't look like that. <laughs> Get my eyebrows right, man. I mean, I got big, you know, big ass eyebrows. Between that and then, I remember getting the photo, these photo sets back from the the first Star Trek, where they'd airbrushed out every like acne scar and every. You look like you end up looking like some sort of like hairless prepubescent <laughs> like boy man. It's weird that that would even be, you know, like, who's behind that? In terms of activities, you've been writing, is this true? Mantivities, is that something that you uh, Yeah, my friends and, and I wrote this thing called Mantivities over a span of, like, five years. And um, uh, it really just began as a way uh, kind of to keep in touch with my friends as I'd go off and work and 
we I came back from shooting uh, Unstoppable or something, and we spent like a week. Uh, we rented a space and did it. we improv for like a week, and then videotaped, and then picked out the funny bits, and then started to kind of construct a narrative, and then built the story around it, and then was kind of like uh, a sitcom writing team we just like pair up and write a scene and bring it back and discuss it and rewrite and it just took forever and uh it's all my friends that I met in my early 20s and they're all USC theater kids and just funny as fuck and uh it's bit you know it's definitely not reinventing the wheel but it's a bunch of 30 somethings trying to grow up and one of them is uh this former child star uh in um basically the it's a Goonies equivalent called Adventure Squad and he was the fat kid Chubbs and he's living off his residual checks and it's going nowhere and he has to grow up and his girlfriend works for this entrepreneur who's into collecting hats and he gets a job babysitting Abraham Lincoln's hat and they take a lot of drugs and a lot of fun stuff happens so it'll it'll probably make a lot of money <laughs> naturally yeah. so are you have you got a shooting date for that yet do you know when it's going to happen oh god willing you know we thought it was going to happen last year i think i think this i think this year and anna kendrick uh said she was going to do it a long time ago i hope she will still do it because <laughs> i think she'd be really funny and you've also, I uh, just saw this morning, Ro- Margot Robbie signed up for Sedge. Yeah, so excited. I just, uh, I'd met her like a year ago at a party at, that our agency threw and very briefly and liked her very much. And then obviously the movie hadn't come out and then uh, sat next to her at the Globes because like, I got sat at the Wolf of Wall Street table, which was uh, hysterical. And uh, <laughs> she's fucking lovely. She's great. She's that kind of South Equatorial, you know, Aussie you know guys girl uh um and good man she was good in that movie that's hard business stepping up to the plate and going head to head with someone like leo and she man she held her own she really did so i'm excited about yeah it looks looks cool before we uh before we wrap i have to ask there was a point wasn't there where you you'd kind of were going to throw in the film acting and move to new york and 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 forge a theater career is that right just before your first film role came well not that i was going to forge a theater career just that i wanted to move i've always wanted to live in new york and for whatever reason i i haven't and you know uh, the greater powers are preventing me from doing so but i i it was i'd been in la for a couple years and hadn't really liked it and uh, wasn't really going anywhere, and then I went back to this theater, this summer theater festival that I'd done the year before in Williamstown, and it's it's just a great, you know, Christopher Walken went through there. Um, uh, of course, that's the only name I can come up with. Right now. But, uh, <laughs> it's a great summer stock, like old school summer stock. And so all my friends there were from New York, and I just said, well, screw it, man. My my buddy who worked for ABC was following the Schwarzenegger gubernatorial, the governor mm. uh, campaign. He was going to be gone for six months. He's like, yeah, take my spot in Brooklyn. I was like, done. So I bought a plane ticket. I got rid of my apartment. I moved back home for a couple of weeks. I told my agents, I was like, I'm out. And as life happens, the moment you start not caring, I mean, I went into these auditions and killed it because I could, didn't care. I was like, I'm moving, you know. And then I got uh, a movie, and I got a couple parts, and then lived at home for a couple of years, and then, I don't know, stayed there ever since. You know, and you'd worked in a bakery prior to that, am I right in saying? I worked at a bakery in high school and was fucking miserable at, uh, just miserable at that. I hated, I just hated service. I really was the w- awful customer relations. Do you know how to make really great bread now? 
no, they wouldn't let me touch the food. I was handling the cash register and was was a failure at that, and would, would never could never bounce, you know, the, that. And then I was a food runner at a restaurant and a host at a restaurant, and um, in, that compelled me so fast <laughs> to work as hard as I could to get out of that industry. In fact, my boss came up to me once. He was like, "Do you, I think it's time for you to? You've been here for a year. It's time for you to wait tables." I no, it's not. It's, it's not. I'll. I'll take the pay cut to run food. I, the last thing I want to do is serve people. <laughs> wow, so Horrible Bosses must have been a good fit in that case. So yeah. fun. I'm having the time of my fucking life. It's, I went up to Jason Bateman the other day, and I was like, I totally get why you do this. You got to work. It's 12 hours. You laugh a lot. You go home. There, you know, it's no, you're not going to win Academy Awards for it, but it sure is a lot of fun. And um, the script is really funny. And it's not like what I'm, it's a whole totally different muscle. It's a completely different muscle, uh, comedy, acting. And it's just, you have to be so loose, you know, because a lot of it's scripted, but then a lot of it will kind of float. And these guys are so good. Mm. They, they're so good. It's like, um, you know it's like keeping the ball in the air you know and it's like if they move one way you see them going one way and then the director sean will be like yeah let's keep that let's roll with that and then the scene becomes this other thing and it's great fun it's really hard uh but that's been great fun all right well chris we're gonna let you go thank you very much and jack ryan's out today Okay, movie news time now. So, where do we begin? Should we begin with something that broke over the weekend? Helen? Yes, uh, Batman versus Superman, or whatever, uh, has been moved back uh, almost a full year. So, it was going to be uh, July 2015, uh, 17th to be exact. It is now going to be May 6th, 2016, which is a very, very long delay. Um, in order to give the, and I quote, the filmmakers time to f- realise fully their vision given the complex visual nature of the story. Uh, the decision was made when production plans shifted the second quarter of this year. We are happy to take advantage of these coveted summer dates which are perfect for two of our biggest tentpole releases. We share the fans' excitement to see DC po- Comics' most popular figures, Superman and Batman, together on the big screen for the first time which will now be arriving in theatres in May 2016. And who said that? Was That a, That sounds like a corporate that suit. That is a corporate suit press release. Yes, <laughs> Mr. Corporate Suit. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's most <laughs> evil nemesis. <laughs> Call him Corp. <laughs> so um, what does this mean? Well, obviously it further fuels speculation that this is uh, a Justice League movie that they're, they're pulling together and that oh, they need more time to do that. Uh, f- somewhat adding fuel to that particular fire... Uh, was word that just kind of came through today or yesterday. Um, Gal Gadot mentioned on another interview on Israeli TV that she is signed for a three-picture deal, which is pretty standard, to that doesn't yeah. really give very much away. Yeah. Uh, but it does certainly, you know, again, uh, strengthen the notion that they're building towards Justice Leaguery um, in the future. Um, and also there was uh, an interview with The Green Arrow. Now, The Green Arrow on TV, obviously in the series Arrow, played by Stephen Amell. Or Amel, and his mighty sure. abs. And his mighty, mighty abs. He was asked whether he thought Oliver, Quinn, uh, Oliver Queen sorry, might end up on the big screen with the other League members. His answer was, I have had discussions, but I think the gestation process for this project is a lot slower than most people think. I mean, they haven't even shot the next one. They haven't even shot a frame of the movie before the movie everyone thinks is the Justice League movie. Now, unpicking that, you could either think 
that they're having discussions about this movie or that it's going to be still one down the line. Who knows? Anyway, the point being, they're still trying to figure out what the heck is going on and no one seems to be entirely sure. Right, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled to see Wonder Woman on the screen. I think that's, that's really exciting for me personally. I think uh, Superman and Batman together could be really intriguing. You could do some very interesting things with that. Um, I do have some trepidation, though. I wrote a, a very big piece on the website about the difficulties of filming the Justice League. Um, if you Google or if you Google our website or search on our website, you should be able to find that. But basically, it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult one to crack story-wise and character-wise because you have these guys, multiple people with godlike powers, and, and the Batman mo- and Batman, <laughs> and you've got to give Batman something really significant to do because he's the one that people like best. Yes, but he's the least powerful by a country mile. Helen, he's got like a cable that can that can get him into windows. I don't know what you're talking about. He'll probably um, give Superman like kryptonite boxer shorts or something so he, oh, you know, he the gets... Fiend. The he's fiend. He's so cunning. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, there's there's definitely some 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 nuts to be cracked before this one comes to fruition. In, indeed. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, how this movie develops. It's been interesting to see how it's developed. Um, there are, of course, cynics out there I no. think we should we should uh, we should uh, mention that who are who are saying on the internet, not me, of course. I'm, I'm God forbid. I'm not Chris. saying this. That uh, this indicates that they don't really know what this movie is, and they haven't really known what this movie is for a while. And the idea was that you know they just kind of threw Batman at the mix when Man of Steel didn't do well, and then they went, oh, maybe we could throw someone else at the mix. They're not going about this in the carefully considered and planned way that Marvel. Have gone about it, for example. I mean, it it certainly would look like it that would seem that to way. a cynic. I'm not saying that, of no. course. Cynics um, on the internet are saying that. Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can see why why there's there's a worry. I mean, I think in that case, and given that people are do have these concerns, it's better that they're taking an extra ten months. Yeah, to give themselves time. I, to did, get it right. I read an article on Forbes, which was very interesting, which went through and and analysed every weekend after saying that even if this was just pushed back a week in terms of they needed another week to do mm-hmm. stuff, they had to push it back a whole year because there is so much already locked in. Yeah. What do you so, mean, in terms of studio space and whatnot? In terms of release. release in terms of big, huge films coming out well, My feeling weekend. is that this movie... If this movie this movie moves where it wants to move, and other movies have to move because of it, right? That's my feeling about this. It's like if if this moved into July of next year, whatever's in July of next that's year, a good point. We go. <laughs> Sorry, Batman. <laughs> Bye. Unless, of course, it's Avengers, and maybe in which case it's like uh, Avengers and Star. Wars. Yeah, Avengers and Star Wars. We go. <laughs> Whatever, but other movies we but go. Even the, same story, sir. They, I think even even then, even Avengers or Star Wars or something like that, there would be very high level discussions. Maybe not between the creatives at the studio, but you can be quite sure there'd be discussions between the accountants. Going, this is going to hurt both our movies. How do we do this? Back off, man. <laughs> Seriously, give war me child. your face. <laughs> when the accountants get involved, great art gets made. That's. Well, I think we all know that, don't we? Uh, but yeah, this is going to be interesting. I've I've got I've got I've got hopes for this movie. So, dreams, dr- hopes and dreams, dreams that may well be fulfilled. So. Are they all about kryptonite boxer shorts? <laughs> mostly, <laughs> they mostly are. Yeah. So, <laughs> Please seek professional g- g- help. Gimp wearing kryptonite um, leather onesies. Okay, call this number, Chris. It's going to be huge. Podcast. It's going to be absolutely huge. Speaking of dreams, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce crushed ones okay. in the form of Mr. Quentin Tarantino, who's a very upset man because. Mm. Understandably, a script that he'd written, which was for a Western called The Hateful Eight, which is a bit of a tongue twister for me anyway, but he sent it to a few people and it got out. Now, he said that it's out on the internet personally. I can't see any sign of it, but it's enough to be out amongst the Hollywood 
area. Apparently so it is being, it is being uh, distributed right now amongst uh, scripty type people who are in the know. Shadowy, cabal-y, scripty mm. folk. And he's, he, that was going to be his next film. He was like, right, so that's what I'm doing next. I enjoy Django Unchained. Let's, let's do something similar-ish, I guess, as far as it being a Western. And now he's going, no, I will not do it now because the script has leaked and I'm upset. So he is flicking his Vs. Now, yeah. he, the, the quotes that he, he gave Deadline, he was talking to Deadline, and I should attribute to it to them because these are quite amazing. Go a little something like this. I'm very, very depressed. I finished a script, a first draft, and I didn't mean to shoot it until next winter, a year from now. I gave it to six people, and apparently it's gone out today. I gave it to one of the producers on Django Unchained, Reggie Hudlin, and he let an agent come to his house and read it. That's a betrayal, but not a crippling one, because the agent didn't end up with a script. There's an ugly maliciousness to the rest of it. I gave it to three actors, Michael Madsen, Bruce Stern, and Tim Roth. The one I know didn't do it was Tim Roth. One of the others let their agent read it, and now that agent has passed it on to everyone in Hollywood. I don't know how these fucking agents work, but I'm not <laughs> making this next. I'm going to publish it, and that's it for now. I give it to six people, and if I can't trust them to that degree, then I have no desire to make it. I'll publish it, I'm done, I'll move on to the next thing. I've got ten more where that came from. I'm wondering nine, if there's... I, yeah, I was wondering if there's more swearing that's been removed from that <laughs> to make it sound more like a Tarantino monologue. Fucking, fuck you, you fucking, fucking assholes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the irony of this whole situation being a bit like the plot of a Tarantino film. <laughs> the, you know, and especially Reservoir Dogs, given that two of the actors are from Reservoir Dogs. And Tim Roth, can he be trusted? Or is he wearing a wire? <laughs> I don't know. But, I, I, um, I wouldn't trust Bruce Stern. I, I, there's two sides to this. Chris, we were talking about this uh, yesterday, I think, mm. and... Um, you were saying how the Django and Inglorious Bastards both got leaked. And Deathproof. Uh, yeah, and they, I, yeah. Well, that one less so, but those two went on to be big successes and yeah, it yeah. didn't hurt them at all. So you could argue that you know he could should just man up. I think the number of people who um, actively want to read scripts that are out there is very, very small. It's infinitesimal. And I, 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 I personally am uh, sad that he's taken this decision and deprived us of a new Tarantino movie. I don't. I don't think he has. I mean, I think I'm. I'm. I think it's it's his call. He doesn't owe us anything. And you know, he made clear in the same interview that he has no problems with people being after his script, being keen to read it. He see. He understands that that is flattering. He understands that that is a testament to how much people like his work. And and he he was very kind of gracious about that. Um, I think his point was this is leaked at such an early stage and after being given to such a tiny group of people. And I mean, listen, the interview was clearly done very soon after he found out about it. You know, his head may cool. He may decide to you know change his mind but at the same time it's not like he's short of ideas he can do something else and and if he if he feels if you know if kind of if the muse has left him if you will if if this genuinely has destroyed his 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 love of or enthusiasm for the project even in the short term then i think we'd rather he you know not go for something that he feels angry about and that that, that he's lost his love for yeah. so it's it's kind of fair enough in a way it's it's his baby it could be that he you know, has spectacularly fallen out with whoever this person is, and he, th this was the one actor he wanted for this part, or had written it for, or something. But no, it's it's kind of sad, but it's it's his thing. And I guess in this day and age, when spoilers fly around the internet, the the whole script might not be read by people, but he he might have wanted to had a big ending that he wanted to keep secret or something. But I guess that will emerge. Following on from what Helen said, his final words on this topic was, I could totally change my mind, I own the fucking thing. But I can tell you, it's not going to be the next thing I do. It's my baby, and if the muse calls me later to do it, we'll do it. I was thinking about the idea of maybe publishing it before I made it, but now that deal happens for sure, and I'm not doing it next. 
Okay. There and maybe go. it's a good thing that he's going to try a different genre, two westerns in a row, maybe. I don't know. But I, I would have loved to have seen a movie called The Hateful Eight. Bruce Stern's a great actor. He has said that he will write something else for Bruce Stern in his next movie. Glad tidings of Robert Zemeckis making another live-action film that doesn't have any dead-eyed animated Tom Hanks's in it. It's, uh, if you remember the documentary Man on Wire... Definitely do. Um, he is essentially making a film of that, uh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt has just signed up to play Philippe Petit, Ooh. a man who um, walked across a tight wire between the World Trade Center buildings. Interesting. So what do we think of that? A lot of CGI. He's going to have to recreate the World Trade Center using CGI, obviously. So, I don't know. Um, I, I honestly... You know what? I, I'll wait till I see it, but having seen Man on Wire, that does the job of what a cinematic film could do. Mm. I was very satisfied by that without... You know, there is footage of what happened. Yeah. And photography, and, you know, it's a recorded thing. It's just and, mind-boggling. Yeah. You, yeah. And I almost only believed it because it was a documentary. Mm. I feel like if I saw it... I should be this pessimistic, but I feel like if I saw it in this artificial, maybe not CGI, but part studio, part CGI affair, I wouldn't buy it as much and it would feel more false. Having said that, I think very few films have captured the sheer panic that being high up can induce in people. I have a massive, massive fear of heights. Uh, and there are videos, if you go on YouTube, there are videos on YouTube of people, free climbers. And there was a documentary on Channel 4 last week uh, called uh, Don't Look Down, which was just, it just gave you clammy palms. And maybe Robert Zemeckis is one of the, the best visual directors, purely visual directors working in Hollywood, who's conjured up shots in the past that have made us all go, how the hell did he do that? That might be that might fall nicely into his wheelhouse with this movie, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I should mention the film title is To Reach the Clouds. Okay. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm just happy for for Robert Zemeckis to be making another live action film. Mm. He's a he's a great director when he's on. And is it actually about Philippe Petit or yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Have you doing a French accent and oh, a ginger wig and all absolutely that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, ah, oui, Duolingo, Duolingo. Mon Dieu. Uh, there is a bit of other news coming your way. It's Empire related news. Do check out the Empire website. That is Helen. What is it again? EmpireOnline.com. Do I need a forward slash or anything? No. Good. Okay. Uh, and our Twitter feed, which is Ali. Empire Magazine, but with an at symbol at the beginning. Excellent. From Monday, which is January 27th, for a very special reveal of our next huge cover event. It'll be excellent. Oh, God. With a capital X. Move on. Oh, okay. Uh, And that's all I can say on that for the time being, in in case they send someone back to the future. No, uh, no, no, enough. No? Okay, yes, basically Days of Future Past. But uh, What? What? Surprise, what? Chris. Oh, yeah, the surprise. element of... The element. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, but do uh, do check it out, because there's a, there's a huge reveal. We're very, very excited about the whole kit and caboodle. Okay, time now for the second interview. The Coen brothers return this week with Inside Lewin Davis, a wonderfully melancholy tale of a folk singer who's a genius in his own lunchtime. That genius is played by Oscar Isaac, who's been on the verge of great things for a while now, often being the best thing about ropey movies like Robin Hood, Sucker Punch, and The Bourne Legacy. Well, now he's the best thing about a great movie, and what's more, he gets to show off his music talent as a classically trained guitarist. Helen and Ali went along and spoke to him when he was in London recently. Enjoy. Uh, we are joined today by Oscar Isaac, the star of Inside, let me get this right, Lewin Davis. Yeah. Do many people get it terribly wrong? Yeah. What do they say? A lot of Llewellyn. Llewellyn Davis. Llewellyn Davis. So Actually, do- Spielberg at the, on, at the stage on, in Cannes when uh, he gave the award said Llewellyn Davis. <laughs> 
Oh. Well, you're lucky you don't have any like sort of Welsh people st- calling it. Clune. Clune. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some one one guy did. I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. It's it, obviously that's how you would pronounce it. In obviously. Welsh. Yeah. 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 We know that. We <laughs> yeah. know that now. Yeah. Now you've sung songs that have ended up on soundtracks in previous films. Mm-hmm. How difficult was it for you to persuade the Coens to do a musical for you? <laughs> it does seem like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's 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 funny because a lot of those other other movies, I didn't necessarily seek them out because a lot, some of those came to me, and it just happened that in the last two years, there's been a lot of music in my movies. When you watch the film, you go, "It's as if it was written with you in mind," and I mean that as a great compliment because mm. you fit this this world so well and you sing so well. Oh, thank you. Were there times when you were in the middle of a song, in the middle of a take, where you just went, "My God, I'm in a Coen Brothers movie." And I'm singing to them and this whole group of people. I think that, that never left my mind. Yeah, I mean that was always there. You know, it was it was it was always there that the absurdity of where I was, um, and that happens a lot. I think I tend, to, I I don't know if you guys have this thing, but I, I'll like find myself completely dislocated in moments and be like, where I should be home right now. My mother's probably worried, or like I feel like I'm like my ten year old self again. It's happened. It happens often, and I think it happened probably 80% of the time on that set where I was just completely dislocated, not even sure where the hell I was. It probably helped the character. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, is Talk still trying dislocated. to figure out what what he's doing as well, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, exactly. Not Yeah, a guy is complete island unto himself. And it's interesting. A lot of the movies this year are about that, it seems. Like, just people hanging alone in the existential void, some more literally than others. But... uh but yeah, I mean, it feels like that's kind of a, a, a theme right now. Like people just feeling a little bit lost and alone in the sadness. Yeah, and having to look after a cat at the same yes. time. Yes, yes, that's the biggest theme of all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a theme that goes through all of the Coen Brothers movies. You don't always see the cat. No, no, no. But it's there. There's a but cat in Lebowski. You don't, yeah. You don't see it. But it's there. It's there. Now, I gather from reading notes about the film that you were suggested by uh, a casting director and there was a, a tape of yours that was sent in and then you came in again and mm-hmm. then there was a month-long gap before Joel eventually called you up and said, it's on, like Donkey Kong. I think yeah. those were his exact words. Yep. Okay, yeah. Direct quote. Direct quote. When you get told, right, you are working with the Coens, do you just sit down and watch all of their previous movies? I'd already done that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, they were my, they're my favorite filmmakers. I mean, I had a I had a Miller's Crossing poster next to my Nine Inch Nails poster in high school. Um, I, uh, I I love their movies, so I, I was really keyed into their tone, and um, uh, yeah, which is part of the reason why when I found out that they were making a movie about the folk scene where they wanted live music played, I, I just knew that that I had to be in it in some capacity. And in terms of uh, the, the Coen Brothers' like dialogue, they're famous for just having a, a brilliant, brilliant way with words. Um, what, did that leave any room for kind of improvisation on set, or was it very much sort of set what you were going to say? And and do you have a favorite line? Uh, well, it's definitely set, uh, but and, and there's room for improvisation, but I, you you don't need it because they write, like you said, in such a specific and wonderful way that any actor that really um, keys into the rhythms of it and the pace of it you know a simple uh uh-huh uh says loads and actually i'd say probably my favorite one is an uh uh-huh that i say when i test out the couch and it's like the perfect couch and he's like "Uh uh-huh that'll do 
you know, in, in a way that they can be so articulate in the in the least articulate moments. And it's a it's it's really a coincidence, but you played across from Carrie Mulligan in a previous film in Drive. Did you either of you have any idea at that point when you were shooting that film that you would be reuniting and for an entirely different project? No, although still doomed love, I feel like that's our thing. You know, sh- <laughs> shitty relationships. It's just we're we're getting like the cornering the market on that. Uh, no, no, that was complete complete coincidence. I don't think that the Coens had even seen Drive, uh, or maybe still even haven't. I don't know. <laughs> wow, you don't want to just leave the Blu-ray just you know in the hotel door just go check it out it's it's quite good it's all right <laughs> and uh, Carrie got that that fantastic kind of tirade against you I mean mm-hmm. I've, you know never heard her spike quite so many swear words in one sort of five minute period uh, was that it, it, it strikes me like moments like that and moments like um Adam Driver's performance during Please Mr. Kennedy did you have any problems with corpsing at all because it just felt like those would be really funny bits to shoot that that one, I think there was a couple moments where, yeah, where I, I, I it would break a little bit. But Lewin's generally in so much pain that uh, it takes a lot for that to break, you know. In fact, whenever I'd be in the most pain is when, when they would laugh the most, the Coens. Wow. Are, they, are they cackling off camera? Because I, I know they do that a bit. Yeah. Yeah, is that is that heartening or disheartening? Yeah, it's it's funny. I even looked at my... my, my little journal from when I was first like the first couple days and no it's too heartening because they don't they don't compliment necessarily like they don't say good job so when you hear them laughing like that's your only real thing so the trick is not to be seduced by that and just constantly be trying to make them crack up you know you're putting on a rubber red nose (laughs) well that's the thing whenever I would go that direction they wouldn't laugh it's whenever I just was in the most pain and the saddest and places of despair that they would cackle louder so what you'd be in the in the wet shoes in the freezing cold and yeah then they'd yeah i would just think about things like death and slavery i guess that's sad right those are two good ones two good ones uh no afterlife yeah, yeah. which i guess is part of death it's like a part of death eating a really nasty tasting cup a of child Eating a nasty child, that would be... A nasty tasting child. Nasty cha- Not yeah, even I mean, a good tasting Yeah, I mean, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know, you do work with a cat here. Did you have... I gather there was more than one. Did you have stunt cats? Did you have, you know, acting cats? No, we had four non-acting cats. <laughs> they were all non-acting. <laughs> they were all non-actors. Uh, and then there was a wrangler whose job was, I think, to agitate the cat as much as possible before attaching it to me. Because you need to be trained to, to, to agitate cats. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They attached by their claws? <laughs> Apparently, that's, the, <laughs> that's like the second parachute that comes out. You know? It's the claws come out once the wire breaks. Uh, yeah, so that, was, that wasn't the most pleasant thing. I really hope there's a credit for cat agitator <laughs> that I just didn't spot. Just at the end of the film. Well, there was dinosaur supervisor in Jurassic Park, so there's got to be something similar here. Right? And in the movies, the movies are similar. Uh, I think it was Joel Cohn who's who's mentioned that one day possibly he'd like to create a movie if he can get the funding and all that kind of stuff centered around an opera singer. How good is your operatic voice? Have you managed to sneak it into any kind of passing? In the conversations, I hear you like opera. <laughs> no, I'll just break out into it randomly. Like, oh, sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did say that. He also said there should be a moratorium on all art for maybe like two years. Interesting. So I don't know which. It depends on his mood. I think. Did, did he watch a good SpongeBob SquarePants episode or? 
<laughs> no, he just says, yeah, he just said, I hate movies, <laughs> including ours. I Although I woke up feeling like that this morning, too. So, I, I, you know. Have you been talking about this now for two days straight, just to put it in Three. Three days yeah. straight. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> so you're fresh. That's fantastic. What's the name of the movie? <laughs> What's the name of which movie? This movie. This one. Yep. Uh, Llewellyn Davis. Yeah, you got it. He, yeah, he, he, knows, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, okay, good. It's <laughs> going back to something silly here. You have the most amazing curly hair beard combo, and I've been trying to get that right for yeah. so long. Yeah, you're pretty did, close. Did you have a, like a beard groomer to get that folky look just right? Because yes. it's one of those things where people go, "Come on, he's, he's kind of a scruffy guy." No, no. There's a legion of people helping you. I right? had a we had a we had beard agitators. You uh, got, to, whoa. Yeah. Uh, no, there was it was exactly like really it was the Dave Van Ronk beard that we were trying to get because it it comes down it swoops down on the cheeks. It actually makes the cheeks look like they're drooping more as well. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, I just helped the whole thing. I actually, Dave Van Ronk had that straight hair. And so I was like, guys, trust me, let's get the straight hair. And so we got, they came over to the uh, uh, hairdresser, uh, Michael's uh, apartment. And uh, they sat there and Michael just straightened it all out with the flat iron, right? And did it all, it was all finished. And then Joel goes, what? What do you think? I'm like, I, I think it's okay. He's like, okay, good, because I fucking hate it. I'm just, that's just, I just fucking hate it. And uh, uh, that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Uh, I'll take that into consideration. And uh, it ended up being very much curly hair. <laughs> I love how we went, okay, I appreciate your point. I fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he stopped himself from saying that first. Let me say what that, That's collaboration, isn't it? I, I mean, it's good, though, that, I mean, You've got to count your chickens because you didn't get, have to do the kind of Caesar bowl cuts Mm-mm. that John Goodman had. So, well, like, he didn't have to do that. <laughs> well, that's true. He came in with that. So that was all. That was all John. I hear that was in his contract. He he treats you, your character, like shit in this mm. film. I I gather from interviewing enough people that shooting in a car is a nightmare to begin with. Everything's so cramped and whatever. What is it like being trapped shooting that scene where you're in a car, you're in a long drive, and John Goodman's sitting with you? Just giving you hell. Yeah, we shot that uh, actually against the green screen. Um, Lies. The, the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, it was all movie magic. That was cool, man. That's when it, you know, that, that was one of those moments, those dislocated moments when it was like, I am definitely in a Coen Brothers movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> John Goodman's behind me just kicking ass and taking names. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. And Garrett's a really good buddy of mine, so. Yeah, that, you've that just made fun. another movie with him, isn't that right? Yeah, Mojave? we did a movie called Mojave. How's that uh, good? Bill Monahan uh, wrote and is directing. And you've worked with him before as well, right? So this is a kind Bill Monahan wrote Body of Lies. Body that's of right. Lies, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. How'd it go? It was good. It was. It's crazy. I mean, we, it's a. It was a small independent film, and and it was. It's, it was pretty wild. Um, we were out in the desert, and that's a horrible place to be. Mm-hmm. You just go home with like mud in your nose, <laughs> and it's so so dry. But it was. It was fun. I played a vastly different character. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I uh, like to consider myself, at least with certain Coen Brothers movies, as like kind of a quote lover and a kind of a, a kind of an obsessive in a little way. I know you can. It sounds like an oxymoron with a little obsessive, but you know, you, you've already confessed that you're a fan of Coen Brothers. Was there a problem talking with them, being with them, in not saying quotes from their films? Because I would personally <laughs> find it incredibly difficult to say not to say things like, "Yeah, well, that's just like your opinion, man." <laughs> would be difficult for me, especially yeah. in this haircut sequence. You know, 
Yeah. Is there is there a trouble? We've been talking about you having your "Is this really happened to me?" moment. Was there any trouble with that? I feel like they had more trouble not quoting their own movies. It feels like they're <laughs> they're constantly quoting their own movies too. This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times they say that. Especially to you, Mitzi. Exactly. I mean, I, I eventually I had to stop fucking them in the ass. <laughs> there comes a time, ass agitator. <laughs> well, this is a really agitated film right now. Yeah, it really is. Um, the uh, in terms of like uh, the Coen brothers and quoting the wrong movies. I mean, John Goodman's talked about how they they sometimes direct him with comparisons to other movies. Do they do that to you as well, or is it sort of a, a shared language that they have with Goodman in particular, and they know they've seen the same? <laughs> yeah, movies? I think that's pr- that's, a that's a particular Goodman Cohen yeah. uh, collaboration there. That's my idea of hell, where the Coens are just going, "Here's Go Friday, okay." <laughs> Flump. I don't okay. know these movies. And you're just going, uh, wh- what? <laughs> yeah. Dictator. Anyway, I'm glad he survived. Um, Thanks. How do you top it off? How do you take your next um, job and go, okay, this is going to be just as good? Oh, well, you don't. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not really possible. You know, you, um, I just hope, yeah, hope that we get to do it with them again. You mm-hmm. know, because, yeah, I, I'd be happy just doing that. I really would. Oh, really? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what else is coming up with you? Uh, Yeah, I finished uh, Alex Garland's uh, directorial debut called Ex Machina, which um, is really cool. It's sci-fi, just three people uh, in a room torturing each other with their brains. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Cohen-esque. Sure. (laughs) In no way at all. (laughs) So what do you play in that? Can you tell us? Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, I guess the basic premise is there's this... uh, genius pro- programmer uh, recluse that uh, he's developed the uh, world's uh, most popular search engine but no one's seen him for a few years and uh, one of his employees played by Donald Gleason is a really really good actor and uh, he uh, wins a raffle to come he gets the golden ticket to come visit visit uh, visit him at his facility and test his new invention which is a beautiful robot that may or may not have consciousness. So he has to perform a bit of a Turing test. Or so it seems, but it ends, actually ends up being a much more elaborate game of chess. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. intriguing. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, you know, if you dilute any movie into other movies, this is making me think of like AI and Bicentennial Man and three-handers <laughs> set in one room. I mean, was it actually all in one room or you just... It's all basically in one, well, a few rooms in a house. In a very lo- or like in a facility. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever played any of the Portal games? Yeah. So was there a bit Portal of that? The, yes, but not quite because that's the kind of like that that Chris Cunningham, uh, you know, uh, robot look, which is definitely not the way we wanted to go. Alicia Vikander plays a robot. Oh, really? That, yeah. Uh, that's a nice looking robot. That's, that's a good looking robot. Yeah. No offense to the. I also have sex with the robots. Really? As one does if you want to test their consciousness. Yeah, sure. Obviously, yeah. Um, that's in the manual yeah 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 so it's uh i'm curious to see it i mean we we finished it a couple months ago very quickly um we, you know this obviously you sing in this film you you play guitar you sing in real life um what's your karaoke go-to under pressure Ooh, under pressure that's really? the one i think do yeah do, do you do both voices no no that, that'd be silly sorry. no that'd be kind of stupid uh <laughs> No, that's why why it's interactive. You know, you bring up the other person. I tend, but I don't only do one of the voices. I'll mm. go back and forth. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, you've for, got to be you, an have old do you have to do your favorite parts. You know. I've got to say, I mean, as a tenor, you know, you're going for Freddie Mercury, who's got 
But you have to go in the fresh in the You know, like the David Bowie part there is really... I mean, that's slightly easier. Yeah. But yeah, I've got to respect any man who picks a Freddie Mercury song as their karaoke tune. Thanks, man. So here's to you. Thank you. Um, thanks for bringing us in part such a great movie, and we look forward to speaking to you at one of your next extensive press junkets. About the robot fucker. Yes, please. Yay. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's a subtitle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks very much. Thank you. Right. Thanks, guys. Did he play guitar for you guys? Sadly, no. He did explain to me in, in the video interview on the website how he had to learn to play guitar for the film. He, he could play already. He had to learn a completely new style, which he's now stuck with. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I say interesting. Uh, should we start with uh, Insight Lewin Davis? Let's uh, do it. <laughs> while we're reviewing movies, while we're here, we might as well review some movies. Uh, Insight Lewin Davis. So this is a new Coen Brothers movie. It opened to Cannes last year. Fantastic Coen Brothers cast. Oscar Isaac, Carrie Mulligan, Justin Timberlake interesting enough John Goodman not a Coen Brothers movie though, John Goodman uh, what's this one about uh, what's this one like hello uh, hello well this is uh, about a folk singer in 1960s uh, Greenwich Village New York uh, winter time which is worth saying because everybody looks freezing all the time uh, and basically Lewin Davis is kind of as we learn he's kind of on the fringe of things he had a partner who he sang with who has died and he's kind of trying to relaunch himself as a solo artist but he is continually stymied by bad luck and also his own incredible uh, ability to choose the wrong option in any circumstances <laughs> going um, essentially and so he's kind of he's essentially homeless he's hopping from you know one friend's bed to another one friend's sofa so, to yeah. another's floor yeah. Um, and and just kind of hanging on at the fringes of society and just hanging on to the to the dream and the hope that he can make it and uh, and yeah and sabotaging himself relentlessly as he does so. Um, uh, Oscar Isaac describes this as a screwball tragedy, which I think <laughs> is genuinely one of the greatest descriptions of the film that there could be. Um, I like that. It does have elements. It is very funny at times. It does have elements of comedy. It does have elements of just of almost farce. But at the same time, there's a real thread of melancholy running through it and a real sense of just sort of the times they are changing, if you will. Uh, this is immediately pre-Dylan, I should say. So it's, it is, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. It looks great. It's rightly got an Oscar nomination for uh, Best Cinematography. It's wrongly not got a nomination for everything going um, mm -hmm. because it really deserves it. And, and Oscar Isaac is terrific, both in terms of the, the playing music, the singing, and indeed his performance as Lewin Davis. Yeah, uh, this is fantastic. Uh, if you're a fan of the Coen Brothers movie, I was a uh, movie? <laughs> the one Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> if you're a fan of the Coen Brothers movies, I would suggest you go and see this post-haste because it is phenomenal. It is, for me, I detected so many other Coen Brothers movies or mm. in the DNA of this. There are little bits of The Big Lebowski. There are little bits of o, uh, o Brother Where Art Thou. There's a lot of Barton Fink. This is a, a companion piece for me to Barton Fink. This in, has much more ways. Miller's Crossing than it does. And there's a bit of Miller's Crossing as well. I think that, you know, obviously with a hat and Miller's Crossing, here you have a cat who's walking around with a big ginger tab that he has to deal with, move from one place to another. And he seems to be after this thing that it's significant, but you don't know why. Well, <laughs> I'm convinced the, it's a Garfield reference, but maybe. Yeah. Well, the opening of the movie is very Miller's Crossing, in which there's a guy. Um, it's not a spoiler to say there's this guy who punches Lewin Davis it's the opening scene uh, punches Lewin Davis in the face and his fa his body language his mannerisms even his voice suggests to me he's almost a cousin of Eddie the Dane from Miller's Crossing um, but there's 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 a lot to love about this movie mm. um, it's very acerbic it's very very funny and it's one of those movies that um, challenges you with its protagonist 
Uh, Lewin Davis is not an easy man to like, uh, as was, for example, Jordan Belfort in Wolf of Wall Street. But uh, it just shows when the writing is this good and the performances are this good uh, and the direction is this good, you get immersed anyway. Absolutely. Also, we should mention the music is absolutely terrific. The soundtrack has been on heavy rotation in the Empire office and it does look like it's going to be that kind of, oh, brother, where art thy thing, where you would never normally have listened to these songs. But they're fantastic when you do. Up oh, oh, spice. Yes. Yes, that was the Adam Driver uh, mm. section of one one song there. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Please, Mr. Kennedy, a fantastic, uh, fantastically bad <laughs> novelty song. But it's great because uh, the, the music's fantastic, and uh, the Coens have said that if they hadn't found Oscar Isaac, they would have been up uh, a particular creek without a paddle, uh, mm. because they needed someone who could play and sing, and act. And uh, they were really up, you know, up that particular creek until he walked in mm. and suddenly said, hey, I'm classically trained, I can do all this stuff. Yeah. We have a track-by-track uh, interview with T-Bone Burnett in the current issue. Who's T-Bone Burnett? T-Bone Burnett is the uh, music maestro man behind a lot of the Coen Brothers soundtracks. He did Oh Brother Where Art Thou and a bunch of others. He's, he's a musical genius in his own right. Um, but he was behind the, the score, really. He also did Crazy Heart and Nashville Season 1, if you've been watching that. So we gave this five stars. We certainly did. And that is a recommendation. So uh, do go and check out Inside Lewin Davis and, uh, and and enjoy it. Why don't you? Okay, now we're going to move on to, I guess, ostensibly the biggest film of the week, which is Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, uh, which stars Chris Pine as the latest iteration of Tom Clancy's hero. <laughs> Uh, I don't think Ali's a fan of this film. He's making he's making he's making an interesting face, and Nick has just slumped into a slumber, into a stupor. Just, uh, yeah. So okay, um, Ali, let's start with you. Right, I'm being unfair with my facial gymnastics. <laughs> this film, I've been trying to explain it to people. It's like ordering a cup of tea. Someone gives you a plastic cup, puts a tea bag in it, and pours hot water in. Yes, that's what I ordered. Like it is a spy thriller, perfectly functional, does the job. Uh, there are twists, there are turns, there's some action beats, there are some thinky moments. Uh, it's it, it, it manages to get to the crux of what it is to be Jack Ryan. He is a put-upon uh, hero who doesn't necessarily want to go out there and be shooting bad guys and you know throwing people off bridges, but he's actually just kind of a numbers man who uh, who is he's kind of not strong-armed into becoming a, uh, a proper spy, but you know it happens uh, because essentially Kevin Costner says it does. Now, before I start talking about the film proper, I just want to mention what happened last weekend. You said this was the biggest film probably of this week, right? In terms of releases, I think it'll yeah. make the most money out of all of them. And it costs $60 million to make, so it's not like a small film by any means. And it is Jack Ryan's a big franchise of books, obviously. And, you know, it's a big deal, right? So last week when it was released in the US, mm-hmm. it came fourth. That's right in the box office behind Ride Along which is a uh, buddy cop comedy starring Kevin Hart and Ice Cube which got 41 million dollars mm-hmm. then Lone Survivor which was out the previous week wasn't a debut that right. came in its second week came in second with 23.2 million then of course there was The Nut Job which is an animated release uh, about squirrels I'm guessing I must see this uh, I must see it too it's too good a name uh, which collected just under uh, just no sorry just over 20 million with 20.6 Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit 17.2 million which has got to be disappointing after six uh, after a 60 million uh, yes. outlay you got Chris Pine he's a star of the Star Trek franchise Kenneth Branagh who did so well with Thor as as the director you, you'd hope you know maybe that would get some more people and he's also starring in the film as a, a bad Russian badski who is uh, trying to and I this is the plot as much as I understand it he's trying to destroy the US economy 
by essentially trading a huge amount of of dollars uh, that would collapse the economy and cause the second depression, just ruin the world. But the theory is, is that, of course, Russia has oil reserves, so they're all kushti in, in Russia. But he's, he's planning to do this by triggering a terrorist attack, which will provoke panic in the markets, and then he has all these US dollars, and then he'll flog them for... Mm. Yeah, you know, this for is not entirely far-fetched, given that something... No. There, there are at least conspiracy theories that I haven't done enough digging to know if they're true or not, but there were certain big uh, transactions following September 11th uh, that suggest that somebody was, was trying essentially this on that date. It's not the far-fetchedness. I, I get it. I understand it. What, what I found was, having watched the trailer once, every single key piece of action that is in the trailer is in the film, and that's it. There is no extra there is no surprise scene. There's no nothing. And certain moments of tension essentially consist of Chris Pine sitting on a laptop, calling someone up, asking for a password. Now, I'm being flippant and I'm, you know, being a little unfair. But that is the crux of one scene. And it is kind of exciting, but it's not quite satisfactory what I'm looking for post-born, yeah. post-born. Well, yeah, you say that, but I'm a big fan of the Jack Ryan movies um, and the Jack Ryan books, in fact. And... Uh, Clear and Present Danger, which for me is a modern classic uh, thriller, a modern classic thriller, uh, is it's probably its most thrilling scene. Is Jack Ryan trying to hack into someone's computer while they're in their office, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. And there's there's absolutely nothing wrong. Tension can be generated by something as mundane as that, oh, and it still can be uh, in, in this day and age. I'm not saying it can't be, but yeah. this way, the way it was done here, didn't work for me. I didn't quite connect with the thrill. And I think the reason why is because I think Kenneth Branagh miscast himself as this bad guy. He's a very tight-lipped, hello, give the me and his mianya type Russian baddie. And it, it kind of didn't sit well with me. I felt like that was an early 90s type villain, this kind of big Russian superior boss guy. And I would rather have had something maybe not quite as cliched. I didn't think he was cliched. I thought he did a very good job of giving dimension to that character um, and making him a quasi-tragic figure, I think, which is which is a, a, a good thing to do with your bad guy if you're going to try and get some nuance into it. I, so I didn't, I didn't really have a problem with him at all. I thought that, you know, mm. there, there's layers to his past, to his family life, even to his office that kind of, you know taken beyond that I'm a bad guy and I'm going to do you in kind of stereotype I thought um, so I, I liked him uh, the, my big worry going in was that one of the things I'm, I'm like Chris I've always loved the books and the other films one of the things I really like about them is that uh, Jack Ryan and his wife Kathy Ryan have always been very much um, an equal pairing She's he's a kick-ass CIA analyst and everything else she's a kick-ass eye surgeon at John Hopkins she's one of the top people in the country doing what she does um, and they're very much a unit um, and you see that really well, I think, with the Anne Archer incarnation of the character in particular. Although she's barely in clear present danger. She's having, barely... Having rewatched it again, she gets very, very short shrift. She does, but but in the scenes where she's there, you you get the sense of them being a couple. That she's she's the, the Michelle Obama to his yeah, barrack. This is know? one of the things that sets a character aside from Bond and Bourne, that he's yeah. part of a stable family unit, that, he's a, that he is an analyst, he's a pen pusher, he's someone who'd rather be filling out forms and doing paperwork than he would be firing at the bad guys exactly. although he's trained and he's capable of doing sure. that he's not but a super spy in, in, the, in the trailers for this what they appeared to be showing was you know him keeping secrets from Kira Knightley's Kathy for, for there to be tension between the two of them you know she turns up unexpectedly in Russia when you know, as far as she knows he's on a business trip in fact he's on this mission um, and it all seemed to be just by the numbers and I have to say some of that is still irritating to me 
But I think they actually did a fairly good job in the end of establishing that these two have a quite healthy relationship. Do they at any point explain what a shadow recruit is? I've not seen this. No, they don't. Well, they kind of. I, well, I, I took what it was. The words are never said. The words are never said. This is true. But this movie has been. Uh, it's had a troubled production. It's been in development for a very, very long time. It first was known as Moscow. Uh, it's interesting to me that there are elements of the Jack Ryan novels in here, but this is the first time they haven't directly adapted a novel. They've gone off page, so to speak. And I feel that that's part of the film's problem. That they don't. There's not really a compelling story there. Uh, and there's not really a compelling arc for Jack Ryan as a character mm. and he does ultimately become a little a little borny towards the it's, end it's and it's, and it's yeah, yeah it's hard to care as well about you know if, trying to save wall street yeah. and you know trying to save financial transactions it's inherently a bit tougher to get behind yeah clear person danger is fantastic hunt for red cobra is fantastic uh, yeah you know submarine movie drama intrigue claustrophobia connery Baldwin. it's all it's got all the ingredients uh and clear and present danger is a, a wonderful political thriller about intrigue going on in washington and cover-ups and conspiracies this is less so i enjoyed it it's enjoyable it's fun it's got some good moments the performances are good uh but i would say as a jack ryan movie it didn't feel like a jack ryan movie to me it felt like the 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 influence of of born and bond uh was felt more in this movie than the previous ones the way it was shot for example uh you know the philip noise movies and mcturnan's hunt for red october <laughs> i know those were skipping over the sum of all fears but those those movies were classically shot thrillers and this movie feels to me like everything is at a pace and it has to quick editing, quick editing and music rising tension all the time. Everything's important. And it just gets a little bit wearing. I wanted to like it. I like all the previous films. I have a soft spot for some of all fears. This I'm not like I'm not against the character at all. I was not compelled to use your word. I was not compelled. But at the same time, I think it does the job. And I think if you happen to be at a loose end this weekend and you fancy watching a film, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I think it's very much one of those movies. I liked Costner a lot. I think he and Pine have got excellent chemistry. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd totally. Like, yeah, they were the best thing about it. I don't think we're going to get another Jack Ryan movie with Chris Pine, uh, but it would be nice to see those guys uh, do it one more time. Who knows? You never know. You never know in this business. Uh, three stars for Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, which we always say is a recommendation. As we say, it's probably a rainy afternoon recommendation rather than a go out and see it immediately recommendation okay we're moving on now to August Osage County which is John Wells' adaptation of Tracy Letts play about a dysfunctional southern family it's bagged a couple of Oscar nominations in the old acting arena for you guessed it Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts but it also boasts a hardcore cast not hardcore like the gimp <laughs> would be hardcore but uh, the likes of Ewan McGregor Benedict Cumberbund uh, Juliet Lewis and Chris Cooper so Helen <laughs> Yeah, it's me again. Uh, Everyone pointing at each other. Do we want to talk about this one? Who wants to take this one? <laughs> this one, so it's it's an adaptation uh, of Tracy Letts' play by Tracy himself. Uh, he's mm-hmm. obviously the guy who brought us Killer Joe, Killer Joe last year. Um, uh, and it is, uh, you know, it's one of these plays that's won every award going, you know, sold to played to sold out houses on Broadway. Uh, been, Never came over here, did it? Not to the best of my knowledge. I certainly haven't seen it. And you see every play. I do see every single You're play like that's Quentin going. Letts. Sure. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, it's the story of a family, basically. So the, the patriarch is a poet called Beverly Weston. Yes, that's a man's name. Uh, that's played by Sam Shepard. He disappears, uh, leaving his wife, uh, Violet, who's played by Meryl Streep, to kind of deal with, with this. Um, and basically all the daughters come home. They're played by Julia Roberts, um, Juliette Lewis and Julianne Nicholson. Uh, Jewel clearly being the syllable in common uh, and also you know Julia Roberts's husband who's played by Ewan McGregor comes etc and they gather to support their mother and uh, family squabbles recriminations 
and are you know full on knockdown arguments ensue. Sounds interesting. It's I mean it's it's played at a very high pitch. I think a lot of it. Yeah, this is interesting, Helen, because this was billed as a as an Oscar frontrunner. Sight unseen. Yeah, sight unseen. Um, and, and on paper, you can totally yeah. see why that would be the case. Because, I mean, just look at this guy. Anything Meryl Streep does, for one thing, is an Oscar frontrunner. She could do The Devil Wears Prada too, and people would call it an Oscar frontrunner, you know. But um, but it just the, the whole, the quality throughout just, just did seem to say this was going to be an oscar kind of film in the way that something like Doubt was. But I think it's a bit more, it's, it's, it's a bit more overplayed than that at times. Uh, I think they overplay their hand. I think that there's no, it, it feels like the reverse very few moments of kind of calm in between storms here and and actually thinking back through it there are cams but it's hard to kind of remember them because the storms are just so you know big I've seen cynics on the internet again commit sacrilege no and they're saying that Meryl Streep in this movie is a bit of a caricature they're saying that her nomination for best supporting uh, sorry her nomination for best actress is because she's Meryl Streep (laughs) <laughs> and she might as well have been nominated for Best Meryl Streep. What sayest thou? I am a Meryl Streep fan. I have a little bit of sympathy with that position, I'll be honest. I, I think that she she was a bit much for me in this. She's very sort of Elizabeth Taylor in uh, in Virginia Woolf. You know, it's, it's, it's not for me her best role ever. Having said that, I think some of the quieter characters do better. I think Juliette Lewis is actually really good in this. Um, who was on the podcast last week. was on the last podcast week. last week. Yeah, but she, she's genuinely good because she's the, the kind of the sunny and the eternally optimistic character with really very li- little to be optimistic about in some ways. But I thought she, she kind of was a, was a bit of a breath of fresh air. Julianne Nicholson, who's really coming up and really kind of establishing herself at the moment, um, is very good as well, although she has the most tragic storyline, I think, of all of them. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it. I feel like he's miscast in that he's... He's a character that people continually berate for being stupid, and and he doesn't naturally <laughs> seem stupid. Um, Does he solve a murder in the end? <laughs> he doesn't even solve any murders. I mean, oh, what what's even? that point? I know. Um, but and then Julia Roberts is actually very good in this. I think it's her biggest role in in a long time, and I think that's why she's getting quite as much attention for it as she as she is. It it kind of comes down to a sort of a two hander between her and Meryl Streep in some ways, and she stays standing opposite Meryl Streep, which is no mean feat. Um, so I think it's right that she's got the attention that she has for this. Um, but yeah, for me, it was it was a little bit lacklustre overall. Um, some really interesting ideas, obviously some beautiful writing in there, but we gave it three and I think, you know, it certainly isn't any more than that. Reading between the lines, yeah, I'm guessing you wouldn't say three. I would personally probably be lower, but, you know, okay. I didn't write the review. But hey, go out and see for yourself. Wolf of Wall Street is still in cinemas. Wolf of Wall Street is in cinemas. That's all I'm saying. The Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, Inside Lewin Davis is in cinemas. Yes. Like now. But still in cinemas is The Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know why that came to me. I just thought I'd mention it after uh, after those two reviews. And 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, that that movie. That's also in cinemas. Okay, Okay, so let's move on to our last film this week. It's Grudge Match, in which Sly Stallone and Bobby De Niro play two washed-up OAP boxers who get together to settle old scores in the ring. Nicholas. Yeah, this is uh, Raging Bull versus Rocky, essentially. Or should I say, Aging Bull. Hello! And Stocky. (laughs) Uh, That one wasn't so good, but I'm quite proud of Aging Bull. Yeah, it's essentially, this is two old uh, pros who decide to relive their past glories and get back in the ring to make a load of money, which is essentially what this film is. It's De Niro and Stallone. You know, there are Raging Bull and Rocky jokes within it. And that's kind of, it's, it's a curiosity, really. And I don't think it particularly works it certainly didn't work for me I'm a fan of both of those films especially Raging Bull obviously this is closer a bit closer to Rocky it's a comedy as you can probably tell from the title 
Um, but yeah, I just didn't think it was particularly funny. It's two hours long. What? Um, no way. It's essentially a long string of Alan Arkin dick jokes. What, jokes made about Alan Arkin's dick or Alan uh, Arkin making dick jokes? L- both, really. Him, yeah, him yeah, making that, jokes about that, his dicks. That other is true, jokes. both, yeah. yeah. Um, and you say this isn't a musty. <laughs> I did enjoy seeing uh, Kim Basinger uh, coming back. Uh, she kind of plays a bit of a love interest for both of them. I don't think this film is good. I don't. I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't think anybody's going to be remembering this for a long time. I don't think this is going to be a Christmas family favor or anything like that. But what I will say is, as a big Rocky fan, and as uh, I, I just, I love. <laughs> there's a part of me that couldn't believe what I was seeing. There's, there are so many scenes in this film where you go, I cannot believe I'm watching that. Robert De Niro is doing a puppet show, and it is ridiculous, like a, a comedy puppet show at a restaurant. Uh, there's another scene where Sly Stallone picks up Robert De Niro by his belt buckle and his neck and throws him out a plane. This is in this film. Mm. And for whatever reason, I know it was hokey, I know it was you know, pedestrian, and you can see where the plot's going from a mile off, Hello Rocky, but I got some sort of kick out of it. I enjoyed it, maybe because I watched Rocky too many times. There was a smile on my face, it passes the commodian chuckle test. It is not a good film. But if it's on TV and you've ever loved Rocky, maybe give it a curiosity, as you say, watch. You feel a bit of affection. These guys are likeable. But I think the problem is, essentially, this is a really mismatched double act. where They're both really the same kind of person. They're both sort of quiet, mumbly. You know, it, you, In a double act like that, you need one person like that and another person who has a bit more energy. And I just point. felt there was a really really kind of dragged the, the a lot of the scenes it wasn't there were whole scenes that didn't have any laughs in them and they they throw in Alan Arkin and Kevin Hart as the comedy relief neither of them particularly made me laugh so you know they're certainly a matter of taste I think Kevin Hart for me can be very funny but he has to be in the right movie this movie doesn't kind of fit for me and him uh, I think he's got a lot of talent obviously we've seen with uh, the, the movie that did so well uh, this last weekend, uh, Ride Along, that he's huge in the US and is becoming even bigger. We had a stand-up show that, that made loads of money, I think, yeah, last huge. year. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think there's something to him, but yes, it doesn't work in this film. Yeah, I agree. Keep your eyes on Kevin Hart, people. We gave that two stars, which isn't a recommendation, but it is a rocky mendation. No. No? Bad. Wow, bad. it, it, is, it has even, been a bad episode for puns. Not even a little bit? Well, we're talking puns. My, my final note on the grudge match is that in the movie... The, the big sort of re rematch is billed as Grudgement Day. <laughs> I think this film would have been improved by 50% if they had called it Grudgement Day. Uh, got a laugh from me. Yeah. I, I'm on board with that. Yeah. There you go. That was the biggest laugh for me in the film. That was it. That was a good one. I like that one. So two stars for Grudge Match, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be talking to Lone Survivor director Peter Berg, making his second appearance in the pod booth, of course, and the great documentarian Alex Gibney, who's here to talk about his new movie, The Armstrong Lie, which is about how Lance Armstrong told the big old fib for a <gasps> long, long time. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Fare thee well, my honey. It was a Inside Lewin Davis quote from the songs. Never mind, carry in- on. Inside Baseball, though. A little, little bit. In, a little inside baseball. Uh, it's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Nick. Give me your face. <laughs> and goodbye from the Gimp, of course. Oh. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to make Brett Ratner rhyme with something, anything. See you next week. <laughs>